Hey, welcome back to Faith Quest. This is Charles Lauer, your lowly host. And man, it's exciting to be back. It's been a little while and our podcast got back up running bi-weekly Tuesdays and Thursdays. Man, we're going to jump right into this today. Aren't you glad 2020 is over? Bye, Felicia. It's gone. And uh, we're so so excited to see 2021, and now we can hold hands and sing Kubaya, and everything's going to be great, right? Of course, we're hoping for great things. I'm not trying to sound pessimistic, but I want to be a realist, and we know there are some challenging things up ahead of us. I've got some things that I want to share with you. One of the things I want to do is to uh, bring good resources to you, and I was noticing on the NRB, the National Radio Broadcasters website, they have a poll from the Beckett Fund for Religious Liberty. And uh, it shared this information that I want to share with you. I want to just read this to you off their website. The Beckett Religious Freedom Index monitors the resilience of the United States' first freedom. This survey was, uh, was started last year and is designed with 16 questions covering six different categories that measure perspectives on the First Amendment. In October, the Beckett Fund for Religious Liberty pulled a nationwide sample of 1,000 Americans scoring their support for the First Amendment on a numerical scale. Americans understand religion as a fundamental part of an individual's identity, said Caleb Lyman, Director of Research and Analytics at the Beckett Fund for Religious Liberty. It's, here's what he said. It's no surprise that they support strong beliefs and freedoms protections in work and public life. In this study, uh, support is measured on a scale from zero complete opposition to 100 robust support. The research found a composite score of 66, six, excuse me, 66, which is a statistically insignificant decline from 2019 when the composite score was 67. So this this minute drop, right? And that sounds like maybe it's something, and I hate to be a pessimist, but it sounds like something maybe we should be positive about. But hey, it was a drop. And I don't know what the numbers were before, but it seems to me like the numbers should have been significantly higher. Let me give you an example. Support for religious sharing, which uh, looks at how people... Uh, how people view the freedom to share the religious views with others was down from a number of 71 to 69 and support for religion and policy considering the proper place of religion is crafting law and public policy was down from 67 to 66. And I think what we're seeing on this is a downward Trend. I know that the uh, this article from the Beckett Fund put a positive spin on this, and maybe there is uh, some positivity to be seen in this that it could have been much much lower. But as a Christian, I, I my question is this: Why was it not much higher? And one statistic in particular, it was asked. Let me read this to you: sixty-one percent of registered voters. And 78% of people of faith said that a candidate's, candidate's stance on religious liberty is important to them. Now, I know that that sounds encouraging, but I want you to think about this. If, if 61% of registered voters uh, feel that a candidate's uh, view on religious liberty is important, then that means 39% don't agree that that is important. And can I tell you, 
I think that's a problem. I think that's a problem. I don't want to, you know, project any negativity out there. And I hope you're tracking with me here. I'm usually a a pretty positive person and I want to be positive, but I also want to prepare the church for what's ahead, man. And I've been saying this for a long time, as well as uh, many, many others, that we need to pull up our big boy britches as Christians and as believers and uh, understand the fact that there could be some challenging times come up ahead. Now, what I want to do in these podcasts is I want to start off with maybe some social issue type stuff, and then uh, I'll pull out the preacher slash teacher in me, and what we'll do is we're going to open up the Bible and uh, see what the Bible has to say about what our response should be to these issues. But I just have a few questions before we open up the Bible, and I want you to think through this, okay? Number one, is our culture becoming more hostile toward authentic Christianity. And I'm not even talking politics here. I'm talking about the person who goes to work every day and lives a life full of faith and uh, wants to pass out a gospel track, wants to share the gospel in whatever venue. Um, Do you believe that our culture is becoming more hostile towards the authentic Christian. And here's the second question. How do you see that affecting you and your family? Or do you? Now, I'm going to tell you, I don't know how you would answer that question, but, um, you know, this is my opinion. It's going to affect you and your family. It's going to. Over the next several years, um, I think we're going to be put in a place where where we're going to have to uh, navigate some ground that can be pretty tricky when it comes to our children attending school, uh, you in the workplace, and what you can say and what you cannot say. And my lens, uh, it's it's going to get tricky. It's going to get tricky. If you don't believe me, then uh, just... Uh, uh, Watch what has happened in some other countries when this downward spiral of religious liberties has begun to happen. And I think we see that, uh, the trends of that happening here in America. Now, can God change that? Absolutely. Should we pray for that? Absolutely. I'm not a doomsdayer, but I do believe God's people need to be prepared and we need to look at our world through a lens of reality. And we need to answer these questions before we get to that situation, before we get there. Listen, if we haven't thought through these things, really, we should have already thought thought through them by now with our churches and our families. Um, But if if we don't put some heavy thought into this, uh, we're not going to be ready when these things just hit a smack in the face. What should our response be? Is it to overthrow the government? Is it to just sit back and watch? Or is there some middle ground some there? Here's my question, and it's always going to be my question for us. Listen, I don't mean this to sound rude, but I really don't care what you think about it. But guess what? I don't really care what I think about it either. What I really am interested in is 
What does the Bible say my response should be? So here's what we're going to do. I'm going to come back in just a minute and we're going to open up the Bible and we're going to answer that very question. When our culture begins to downgrade and we begin to lose our religious freedoms, what should our response be? And are there any examples in the Bible? The answer to that is absolutely yes. And we're going to look at it in just a minute right here on FaithQuest. Okay, so here we go. We're going into the uh, Bible study portion of this podcast. Uh, We're always going to open up God's Word and see what it has to say about the issues of the day. So when our culture begins to go down this downward spiral of religious liberty, what should our response be? And I said a while ago that it really doesn't matter what you think, and it really doesn't matter what I think. That if you are a born-again believer, then your authority is God's Word. And so God's Word always needs to be the final voice uh, in every subject uh, that we approach. And so we're going to look at that, and I do want to disclose this, that I did get some really helpful information uh, from Matt Slick of uh, CARM Ministry, that's C-A-R-M Some of you are probably familiar with his ministry. And he had an article entitled, The Christian's Duty to Obey and Disobey Government and Civil Authority. He had some wonderful thoughts there. And I gleaned some of that from him. And uh, so as I work through some of this, I'm going to share some of his findings and his studies as well as he looked at this from biblical perspective. Now, like I said, the Bible is our authority, and uh, sometimes what we do is we use little snippets from the Bible when we answer things like this. What do I do when the culture clashes with maybe some of God's commands and God's directive for our life? You know, there's no question, you've probably heard this said a long time ago, to be or not to be. I think the question for this year for believers and maybe for the next few years is going to be this, to obey or not to obey, that is the question. I mean, we've we've seen so many issues come up. I think of Grace Church in California uh, with Dr. John MacArthur, and uh, he's had to uh, go through that as he um, had to make decisions on whether to meet Uh, publicly for their worship services and uh, the Grace Church did uh, conclude that um, listen believers meeting together was essential and that uh, they were commanded in scripture to do such and uh, stepped out and said no we're not willing to obey the government in this instance and I believe they were exactly right I believe each local church and each local pastor, along with their uh, members, are going to have to deal with those kind of issues on their own. Um, but we we see that we just can't get away from this. We've got to look to the Bible and say, how are we going to handle these different situations? Now, the proof text in this is uh, Romans chapter 13, uh, where it's dealing with um, government and it being uh, the church having to approach government and whether to obey government or not. Should we resist or should we obey? What's the correct biblical position? Well, I'd like to read to you uh, Romans chapter 13. And beginning in verse 1, it says this, 
Let every soul be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and the authorities that exist are appointed by God. Therefore, whoever risks the authority resists the ordinance of God, and those who resist will bring judgment on themselves, for rulers are not a terror to good works, but to evil. Do you want to be afraid of the authority? Do what is good, and you will have praise from the same. For he is God's minister to you for good. But if you do evil, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is God's minister and avenger to execute wrath on him who practices evil. Therefore, you must be subject not only because of wrath, but also for conscience sake. For because of this, you also pay taxes, for they are God's ministers uh, attending continually to this very thing. Render therefore all their due, taxes to whom taxes are due, custom to who customs, fear to whom fear, honor to whom honor. So the Bible seems to be saying here that every believer is subject uh, to the authorities. And uh, But here's the question, is there ever a time, is there ever a time for believers to stand in opposition to the authority that's in place. And does Romans 13 mean that there is never to be a time that we are to stand in opposition to governments and authorities? Um, if that's the case, if, if there's never an instance in which we are to not stand against powers and authorities and governments, then let's take, for example, just Grace Churchill. We could name many others across the nation, but theirs seem to be highlighted in a lot of the media. So we'll just use them for an example. Um, were they in violation of God's word? Huh? I mean, were they? Here it says in Romans chapter 13, obey the authorities, and, and they did not. So were they in opposition to God's word? And I think the answer to that is no. And I think if we just ask the question blanketly, do we always obey the authorities and everything that we are mandated and told? I think the answer to that has to be a resounding no if we were to look at the scriptures from cover to cover. Um, the Bible says, as a matter of fact, in Daniel chapter 2 and verse 21, it's God who removed, removes kings and establishes kings. Therefore, submit to authority is to submit to God, right? But there are times in Scripture when God blessed and sanctioned a resistance to government. And how do we know when that time has come? Big disclosure here. I'm not rallying people to violate uh, the law. And I'm not rallying people to turn against our government. Um... I'm asking this question. When do we know when that time has come? Well, I think the Bible's pretty clear. Now, you're probably going to hear my Bible rattling a little bit because although I do have it on my computer, I'm kind of old-fashioned. I like having my paper Bible out. So I'm turning in my Bible right now to Acts chapter 5. Acts chapter 5 and verse 29 says this. It says, but Peter and the other apostles answered and said, We ought to obey God rather 
than men. You remember that? They said, we ought to obey God rather than men. Now, what led them to say that? Well, in order to find that out, we've got to go back to Acts chapter 5. And let's go all the way back up to verse 16. And I'm going to walk you through this. Uh, What set up this biblically to give the apostles the freedom in Christ to resist and not to obey the governmental authority at that time? Acts chapter 5 verse 16 says this, And a multitude gathered from the surrounding cities to Jerusalem, bringing sick people and those who were tormented by unclean spirits, and they were all healed. Then the high priest rose up and all those who were with him, which is the sect of the Sadducees, and they were filled with indignation and laid their hands on the apostles and put them in common prison. But at night, an angel of the Lord opened the prison doors and brought them out and said, Go stand in the temple and speak to the, to the people all the words of this life. Now, here we have a direct mandate from a messenger of God for them to go and proclaim God's word. And the Bible says in verse number 21, And when they heard that, they entered the temple early in the morning and taught. But the high priest and those who were with him came and called the council together with all the elders of the children of Israel and sent to the prison to, to have them brought. Verse number 22. But when the officers came and did not find them in prison, they turned and reported, saying, Indeed, we found the prison, prison shut securely and the guards standing outside before the doors were Uh, But when we opened them, we found no one inside. But when the high priest, the captain of the temple, and the chief priest heard these things, they wondered what the outcome would be. So one came and told them, saying, Look, the men whom you put in prison are standing in the temple and teaching the people. Then the captain went with the officers and brought them without violence, for they feared the people, lest they should be stoned. Verse number 27. And when they had brought them, they set them before the council and the high priests and asked them, saying, Did we not strictly command you not to teach in his name? And look, you have filled Jerusalem with your doctrine and to and intend to bring this man's blood on us. And that's where we find That's the context of verse number 29 that we approach now. That says, But Peter and the other apostles answered and said, We ought to obey God rather than men. So the reason they were able to biblically disobey the authorities that were set before them, and the reason that it did not violate what we read in Romans chapter 13 is that they had a direct mandate from God. As a matter of fact, even if the angel of the Lord had not appeared to them, God had already told them. We already have it recorded in Matthew chapter 28 and verse 19. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, right? So they already had this mandate to preach the gospel. Point. Here's the point. When 
the government's directives for our life blatantly violates Scripture. When we are called upon to personally violate God's commands in our lives, then Scripture gives us the liberty and even the mandate to not obey the government in that. Okay? Now, let's keep, keep, let's keep going here. Let's go back to the Old Testament a little bit. You'll probably remember, and I'm going to turn in my Bible once again. Give me a second to get there. You'll probably remember in the book of Exodus, there were these Jewish midwives who disobeyed the order to kill the male children. In the Old Testament, we see the king of Egypt had ordered the midwives to kill all male newborn babies. The, if you will, the civil government required this. Okay? And yet we find in Exodus chapter 1 and verse 15 through 17 that the midwives did not obey to put to death these male children, these male babies. Why? Because there was God's law. Even though that God's uh, the Ten Commandments had not come, there were obviously laws against murder and uh, they could not violate uh, God's standard of against murder. And so they would, there's no way they were going to put to death these babies. And so they violated this command of the government. The truth of, of, of murder applies to this situation that it's wrong. And when government asks that, then we are to stand in direct opposition. You know, we could make a mandate for this if anybody was in America Day was being forced to have an abortion. Now, I believe personally that, and I believe God's Word teaches that uh, abortion is wrong and that uh, that's the murder of babies. And right now in our country, unfortunately, that it's legal uh, and our country puts to death this swarm, this multitude of babies every year they're murdered but I want you to imagine now that the government comes and thank God it's not like this now and hopefully it never will be comes to you and says I'm going to force you like they do in China and other places to, to have an abortion then and then then and uh, we would have to stand up and and against the government and God would give his blessing on that we find the same thing, and I don't have to go through it uh, because you'll remember in Daniel chapter 3 and verse 14 through 18, we see Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. You'll remember that uh, the king commanded they would bow down and worship uh, this false god. And um, he said at the sound, remember that the instruments were to be played, they were to fall down and worship this image that he had made. And of course, they refused and they were brought before and you know they were thrown into the fire and God miraculously was with them in the fire and spared their life, protected them in those flames. As Christians, we're not to bow down and worship any false god. Now, here's a question. Does our government demand us to worship a false god. Um, Matt Slick in his article 
said this. He said, to worship is to give honor and glory to something in truth and it for deliverance from suffering, hunger, sickness, and more. Is it that much of a stretch to say our government has become that which lessens our suffering, hunger, and sickness? In other words, could we be moving in a time where we are being positioned to depend on government so much that it almost borders on the fact of of worship? Is government becoming a God to many people? That's who we depend on for to alleviate ourselves of hunger, sickness, to provide pleasure. We used to depend on God for all those things. And as the government grows bigger and bigger, and um, we have, and again, I'm not saying this is not anti-government. I thank God for the people that God has placed in, gov- in government. And as long as they um, give us our religious liberties, they are a blessing from God, need to be prayed for. But I think sometimes we think in America that our government has become our God or our Savior. And we get into really bad trouble when that happens. We need to recognize that there's only one Savior and he's not represented by a donkey or an elephant, either one, but rather a cross. Our Savior who died on the cross for our sins to give us life. And that's where our hope needs to be found. And... Um, You'll remember in Matthew chapter 22 and verse 21, Jesus said, render unto Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. So the government is supposed to be obeyed. Taxes are to be paid. But we should never look at our government as a savior. And as our government begins to push secularism on us and, like I said, promotes the killing of unborn babies, promotes an agenda of the approval of homosexuality and um, things like that, then I think it's going to be ever increasingly hard for us as believers to um, stand up for our faith. And there could be, and I hope there's not, like I said, I don't want to be an alarmist, but there could be a time when you have to decide whether you're going to obey government or whether you're going to obey God. Now, if the believers in the New Testament had to face that, and I don't have time to go into it today, but there's believers all over this world that every day they have to face those issues. And they love God just like I love God. They love God just like you love God. They're neither, they're they're no more less saved than you and I are. And yet they're faced with these decisions every day. Put in a position to obey God or to obey man. And many times they have to put themselves in a very vicarious situation in obeying God rather than men. But the point of me sharing this with you today is not to scare you or not to, um, you know, uh, put fear in anybody's heart or even not even to downgrade or, or or show any lack of appreciation for government. I read to you Romans 13 and it, 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 government's a gift of God. Without government, we would have disorder. God is a God of order. And uh, But we need to balance this out and realize that 
when the government comes to a place where they ask us to violate his word, God's word needs to trump and be our authority every time. I don't mean Trump as in President Trump, by the way. Somebody's going to call me on that. I just know it. Um, I mean, the God's word is going to be our authority. His word is our final authority. Any government that advocates abortion were to resist that as it applies to our personal lives. Um, homosexuality will resist that. Same-sex marriage were to resist it. Um, all these issues that are clearly defined in Scripture. <clears throat> now, you notice I keep coming back to the Scriptures, and I'll end with this. You're not going to be able to test things if you don't know the Scriptures. I've never seen a time in my lifetime where God's people, the called out believers that we call the church, have been as biblically ignorant as what they are right now. And I only say this because many of you know that I regularly go out on the streets and do evangelism, witness to people, and... Uh, just the simple things like I I would ask people just like I did uh, last weekend could you name at least two of the Ten Commandments and, and they I mean just people just can't do it you know um, and it's it and just talking to people with that, that tell me hey I'm a believer I'm a Christian you begin to talk to them a little bit more in depth and you find out just how biblically ignorant now I'm not saying you are I'm saying many of the people who would define themselves as Christian people, uh, have no literacy of the Bible. And I think as these issues become uh, more heated in America, uh, as we come to places where we're going to have to uh, decide, uh, make decisions uh, based on morality, we're going to be called back to God's Word, or we need to be. And if you don't know it, you're going to be in trouble. So... Uh, Listen, I guess the lesson we can learn from this today, uh, to obey or not to obey, it sounds like a cop-out, but here's the real answer. It depends. It depends on this. Is my gov government asking me to directly violate my obedience to the Scriptures, to what God has said? And if that is true then God does give me the uh, liberty to resist. I didn't say to go burn stuff down. <clears throat> Excuse me. I didn't say to um, be violent. I don't think God blesses that. But to resist. And uh, God help us through these times. And by the way, as I finish this up, I'm not saying I have the, all the answers either. Uh, I'm just like you are. I am trying to read my Bible as best I can, take things back to the Scripture, pray, ask the Holy Spirit to illuminate my heart and mind to understand the Scriptures in such a way that I can apply it to everyday life. So, uh, listen, thanks for joining me on Faith Quest today as we wrestle through this, um, when to obey and when not to obey. 
God give us grace. Let me pray us out here today. Father, I thank you so much for your word uh, that is consistent. And Father, I pray that we would all dive into your word, that we would all be connected with a local church, and uh, we would seek the wisdom of our pastors as we wrestle through these issues. And uh, Lord, help us to have open Bibles and open hearts um, as we look at these issues of life. Grant us wisdom. Your word and your word, God, you said that if any man lacks wisdom, he can ask of God and you give it to us liberty, uh, liberally. So God, we ask for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, thanks for joining me on Faith Quest. We'll see you next time. Go share your faith.